You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away. All for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. Scott Minto and I worked together on Gravista de la Liga on Sky. Scott's still a huge talent for them in his presentation of the Championship, the Carabao Cup and the League of Nations. He's also a dude. Before Sky, he was, of course, a huge talent at left-back for Chelsea, Benfica and Charlton, West Ham too. But before all of that, Scott wanted to be Sherlock Holmes. OK, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let Scott tell it, and particularly well, I'd say. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Bon dia. Bon dia. Um, the vine. All right, son. Good morning. <laughs> I'm all right, pal. Um, Scott, let's start with a quiz question. Oh, no. Take your pick. You can name me, I don't know, capital of Canada or Australia or United States. or Let's start with Portugal. Capital of Portugal? Lisboa. All right, that's a really good first answer. So you tell me, how the hell did you get a D in geography? <laughs> like it and there is a a reason for it in my personal opinion let's be having it so going back to my fa youth cup days Mm -hmm. uh with charlton and i was a schoolboy. i was 15 years of age i was 15 looking 15 not looking 16 17 didn't even try to get into a pub at that age so i was part of the charlton i suppose what you call now an academy this was 1986 87 the youth team coach really believed in me. So you're talking about 15 and up against, in the youth team, 17, 18 At an age, at size, when it still makes a difference. It's a big difference. And I was a 15-year-old kid looking 15 and not six foot four, uh, which I've grown into now, obviously. You Uh, wear your height well, to be fair (laughs) enough. It's as if you weren't. It's as if I weren't. That's a natural thing you can do. Exactly. So... Things had gone really well on, on, on a football front, but I was a schoolboy, basically. I signed an apprentice form, so I was still too young, but the youth team coach believed in me. We had a really good youth team. And sort of every three weeks it was, every round, every, on a Monday, was the next round of the FA Youth Cup. And we just kind of kept on winning. So it was a, a little bit surreal looking back anyway, that Monday morning I'm doing maths and English, I'm asking for the afternoon off because actually I've got an FA Youth Cup game for Charlton against Leicester or Nottingham Forest. But geography was one of those subjects that I missed every Monday or every every few weeks. And yes, I ended up getting a D in it. But the positive from that was that we ended up going all the way through to the FA Youth Cup final, where in 1987, if you remember, we played... Coventry in the final. But it's home and away. Let's, for those who don't remember it, because immediately think, FA final at any age group you're going to Wembley but 
there are a couple of reasons you couldn't. One, the competition was structured home and away, and two, yes. as we'll come on to, there were other things happening at Wembley at, at that stage at that weekend. So you, you're through to f- play um, a decent Coventry side. Uh, Steve Livingston, their team, Carl Lieburn yes. in your team, I yes. think. Yes, not Mickey many. Bennett as well, who okay. was. Those two were. There were plenty of second-year apprentices, uh, but those two were verging on the first team. So I'm coming in as a schoolboy, just getting into the youth team, being given a lot of confidence. The fact that the FA Youth Cup is massive at that level. I mean, yeah. massive. It is the FA Cup. So, and back in the 80s, it was like the FA Cup. It was massive then in the first team. It was massive for the youth team. And we played Coventry home and away. We were at Selhurst Park at that particular time because we weren't at the Valley. And I think it was 1-1. Yeah, it was 1-1 first, first leg, yeah. So we're going to the second leg and... Uh, it, I don't know if they did it on purpose. I'm assuming probably they did. But the FA Youth Cup second leg at Highfield Road was three days before the first team played Spurs in, in the, the final, which is an FA iconic final. final itself, 87. So there's 17,000 fans who turned up at our game in the second leg. Now, I'm a 15-year-old kid doing maths and English in the morning. Literally. Done the, done the first leg with, you know, nicely poised for the second leg. I'm at school in the morning. So you, I mean, you're literally playing second leg of the FA Youth thing and you're doing long division and, and I don't know, some sort of Steinbeck and, and then going, <laughs> you're going, yeah, keep, keep it tight in the right way, keep it tight in the right way. Don't worry about stealing. So that was really happening, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you say you had to ask permission to get off school. Yes. And they, they should have formed some sort of like column and, and hoisted you shoulder high to the game, the school. I think the school knew that not only was this a great run and great to be involved in, but there was a very good chance of me having a professional career as a footballer. Yeah. So quite clearly they were very supportive. We were a very good school team. We had four or five players that were very good. We had two other players that went on to become apprentices for Crystal Palace, who I think they went on to become a first-year pro, but didn't get further than that. And then there was me as well. So they knew we had one a special year, but two, that I had a very good chance of becoming a professional footballer, which you know, 95% of boys want to be. And I don't even know what the percentage is, but 0.0 and chuck a few more noughts in there, 1%. Make it. Make it. So anyway, so yes, it was school in the morning, final in the evening. And um, I'm thinking about, first of all, because I'm a devil for detail and you can toss it away and say, no, I don't remember. But you got your scratcher the night before and, you know, everybody talks about nerves and maybe we'll ask you about nerves in other big matches, but like... Second leg, you're, you're going to go to school and go away to Coventry's ground. Are you nervous? Do we, what's the atmosphere in the house? Lucky pants. I mean, we'll talk about lucky pants later as well. But <laughs> when, Do you remember anything of the, I, the I, sensation? I don't, I don't remember anything, I've got to be honest. But Isn't I, that strange? I think that's probably something to do with my mind more than anything else. But also there's been, listen, 31 years ago. Mm. I mean, I do put it as one of, do I put it in my top five of games that have meant a lot to me, possibly. Mm-hmm. But I'm 15 years of age. I think at that age, I just did. Mm. I didn't think. Mm. And, you know, you, you don't even really appreciate it. I think maybe for the first and second year APs who were training every day professionally, they were probably more nervous. We had a, a meeting, ironically enough, and it's the first time I've seen some of them in 31 years a meeting last week at the Charlton training grounds because Peter Evans, who is one of our, our team members, uh, arranged, a, and he's doing a documentary about it. 
which we did some filming in and, and uh, we had a conversation both as a group and individually. And it literally was a week ago today that we had this meet up. But in terms of taking myself back to then, I, I don't remember, but I just, I think I was just in that zone, in that kind of as a, as a kid where you, you just take all the games as they come. Yeah. I'm sure I would have looked around 17,000. Wow. Mm. As a 15-year-old, I'd never played in front of this amount before. And knowing it meant a lot. But I think, again, the school thing perhaps helped in a way. Because actually... Normalcy. Yeah, it was, it was just concentrating schoolwork first and then you meet up with everybody. Yeah, we, 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 we go to the game and I'm not sure that was a Monday actually. So, I, you know, my geography teacher probably was with me there and on the Monday thinking, you really are behind, son. But I think it was the Wednesday and we played and it was nil-nil at the end of the 90 minutes. It was nil-nil until the 119th minute of, of extra time. And <laughs> I feel sorry for Mickey Bennett because he was one of, if not our best player. He still got battered for it, even just last week, by all the, all the guys bringing it up because he lost the ball and then they ended up scoring. Um, it would have gone to pens. And I have to be honest with you, I don't think I would have been in the top five just purely because I was um, a schoolboy and, mm. and not training professionally, as it were. But there may have come a time in that penalty shootout where mm. I would have had to take them on. Mm-hmm. But we ended up losing it. But just, just the experience of it was, was fantastic. A couple of days after your game, Spurs Coventry. So yes, Coventry were doing yes. things right because they went and won that they day 3-2. They did. Which presumably you watched on the box. I so. did. You know, that was, you know, when, you, when you're growing up, certainly in the 80s, remember the 70s as well, and even 90s, which I, I played in, in 97. That was the biggest game of the season. Hmm. You know, the, the league was still seen as... That's the best team. And growing up as a kid, I was born in the Wirral and was a Liverpool fan. We moved down when I was three. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, we were born in the Wirral. Mm-hmm. My dad's still a massive Liverpool fan now. Okay. Um, my brother's a Liverpool fan. I'm not. The moment I signed for Charlton as an apprentice, it wasn't an intentional thing. I, I just stopped supporting them. It was just a thing where I'm now concentrated on my career. This is the most important thing. Even at 15, even at 16, when I, when I signed an apprentice forms and, and the youth team coach, not only did he believe in me enough to, and it was a big thing because there was a second year again. So he would have been 17, maybe even 18 left back who was on the books, Charlton, but he put me in as a 15 year old kid. And he said to me, it wasn't immediately after the final, but he said to me at the start of either, during my schoolboy years or um, the start of my first year apprenticeship, he said, within 18 months, you'll be in the first team. Mm. And Charlton were in what is now the Premier League. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, absolutely no chance. What's he talking about? And within 80, less than 18 months, I'd, I'd played a first team game. Is that QPR? My first team debut was Sunderland in the C-Mod Cup. Uh, so I was 17 and it would have been in the October. So what would that have been? Um, two months, three mm-hmm. months? Uh, October, November. And then I came on and I had the VHS tape of it. <laughs> God knows where it is now. Maybe my dad's got it somewhere. He's got my cup winner's medal, so he's probably got that as well. And, and the late, great Ray Wilkins was playing uh, for QPR. Um, Trevor Francis, Paul Trevor Parker, Francis. David Was, was he in Holloway there? Um, Ollie wasn't at least in the starting 11, okay. but okay. with you, Carl Lieburn and uh, Mickey Bennett have made it through as okay. well. Okay. Um, so... At your club at that stage, people were going, yeah, 
it, moving forward, he's good enough. Well, not only that, no, I, I was playing left back for for the youth team and for the reserves, but because Mark Reed, who was a who was a left back in the first team, it, you, you would have remembered him, and he was I cleaned his boots as an apprentice. Uh, Lenny Lawrence really liked him, so actually I got into the first team as a left midfielder, mm-hmm. and even though I was a left back playing every, at all the other um, levels, I made my debut. And my full league debut, I'll come on to in a second, was at the Den. He liked Mark Reed so much that he didn't want to drop him, but he liked me so much that... You had to be in the team. I had, he wanted to put me or give, give me a flavour of the first team. So, yeah, again, it's a massive compliment because Colin Walsh, who I put... I did, again, recently I did a, a best 11 of players that I played with at Charlton. I put him as the left winger. He, he was kind of, when I was playing, he was out the side. And those two were very close, Walshie and, and Reedy as well. So it's a tough time actually going in because you're breaking up a really good partnership. Um, what people don't understand is that sometimes in dressing rooms there's defensiveness and jealousies and cliques and and particularly against players who are struggling to go, this is my living if I hold on here. The youngster's a threat. Very much so. Very much so. And in the end, to be fair, it's a really lovely guy, really, really nice guy. But I think he, and I was told, he basically said, I- I've got to go. So I think he realised that although I'm playing midfield, my, my position's going to be left back and I'm going to be in the first team sooner rather than later. Mm. So I think he might have gone to St Mirren after that. He certainly played Celtic and St Mirren, yeah, um, yeah, in this time. But he was fantastic and he, you know, I was cleaning his boots mm. and he was great as a, as a pro as well. So he, he could have been not so good to me, but he wasn't. But let's just say there was a vibe. You have experienced what I was let's talking about. Let's just say there was a vibe of... This little kid's coming in. He's breaking up what we got, and it was tough at that time. Yeah. It was tough. It was basically a, as, an, as an apprentice, and I'm a great believer. I think if you speak to anyone forty and above, yeah. they cannot believe that it's, kids aren't cleaning boots anymore, mm-hmm. and and cleaning toilets, and you know picking up the the the, the train the wet training gear and being thrown at you, and you don't say anything, and go and make me a cup of tea, and that is part of growing up that's come up time and time again tell us why because it's useful for people to hear why that's a lot I think I think the football nowadays and for kids and it's a it's a big 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 issue Uh, money in the game I genuinely don't have a problem with and I don't have a problem with um, not even the top players top players deserve what they Tom Cruise is on what 10 million pound a film for six months work or maybe even less than that so the top players if they earn that type of money they deserve it. Even lesser players, if they're on more money than the equivalent of me, than what I ever earned, I have no problem with that whatsoever. You know, because people 20 years before me didn't earn what I earned, mm-hmm. who were better than me. Mm-hmm. What I do have a problem with, and it's a difficult one to do because agents and parents and, you know, they're going to try and look for the best financial deal and not always the best football deal. So much money in the game nowadays that kids are given being... And I won't mention names, but I've been told in the Championship, people on loan from Premier League clubs, want 50 grand a week. Mm. £50,000 a week. Possibly 19, 20, 21-ish. At that age. Yeah. One, you're not doing it for the money. Now, now, me growing up, we never did it for the money. My uh, apprentice, YTS, first year was £28.50 a week. And we were given £35 or... Our parents were given £35 a week from the club, mm. which my mum gave me 15 
and she kept 20 for not housekeeping. Bad. Not bad. Um, That's a then, good deal. And then the next year was £35. My first pro contract was £140 a week. I signed halfway through my second year. 17. Still 17, 17. In, in, that, in that 130 a week? 140 a week, yeah. But it was their way of saying, because normally you have the two-year apprenticeship, and at the end of that two years, they decide whether you're a professional or not. Mm. There was, I think there were two, maybe three of us, but I was the first one, I think. Because YTS is a youth YTS training is a scheme. Youth training scheme. And it and it's a government the, initiative. Yes. And we had to do one day a week, and it was a Thursday, go to a college in around London Bridge, I think. And I, do you know what? It was so unmemorable. I don't know what the word is for that. But we went, we did one day a week in this college. Co- I can't even remember the course. It was just useless. And my mum really wanted me to do evening school. And my dad was so much of a football fan. Now, I have to say about my dad, there was a time when I was between 12 and 14. Up until 11, 12, I was at Crystal Palace. And then I stopped playing. And it was a two-year period where I was playing for my school and district and county. But any professional club coming wanted me to, to go on their books. I said no to. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I was very much into Sherlock Holmes at the time, the old Basil Rathbone um, films. And I thought I could be someone like him when I was 12 and 13. But you don't mean a movie star, you mean actually mean solving crimes. I mean a detective. I mean a police detective. You see, if you'd sat down and asked me to guess from my life what you thought you'd be when you're 12, I'd have been pretty close to detective. I might not have said, I might have said Sexton Blake or James Bond. <laughs> very, very Bond. Yes, Mr. Minter, I've been expecting you. But Sherlock is your a slight legs. surprise. <laughs> no, Mr. Minter, I expect you to tell us about um, Sh- Sherlock. Yeah, loved the Basil Rathbone films. Yeah. The black and white. It used, used to be on a Friday evening. I used to black out the rooms. Uh, no one would come in for that. I can't even remember how long they were. Pipe violin and a half. Any? No, didn't have didn't have any of that. Didn't have the, the old sheepskin jacket and <laughs> and. Um, but just just loved it. Just really really captivated me. And and the black and white Basil Rathbone one that yeah. made it even more yeah. sinister. Yeah. That was just fantastic for me at that Agreed. particular time. Yeah. So for those two years, and my dad, listen, he's a he's always been a massive football fan. He would have loved to. Best job in the world, would love to have been a football player. Mm. His favourite job now, even now when he's 77, would be to be a scout. And he mm. wouldn't care whatever level. He would watch whatever game, under 10s or, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, thirds. And, and um, I'd be happy just to be paid expenses and a little bit of money to mm. watch football. He never once put pressure on me. Mm. Not once to... Um, Son, with, you've got a talent. Don't waste it with that rubbish. Exactly, to go with it. You're watching that club. film again. Yeah, no, do you know what? Never. Not even about the film, but just, you know, he could have easily said, look, you can do that and that. Hmm. But I just didn't want to. It wasn't about watching Basil Rathbone and Sherlock Holmes. It was just about 
Actually, it kind of was at that time, really, 12, 13. <laughs> but I just, I, I, clearly the love of football or the love of being with a professional club at that particular time didn't overly appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was 14 that um, Tottenham asked me, I said, uh, because my district coach was a Tottenham scout, QPR asked me, and Charlton asked me. And the reason why I went to Charlton was because my cousin was already there. That was the only reason. So I thought, you know what, I'll travel in with him. So on a Thursday, I used to get the bus, walk sort of half a mile from my school to the bus stop, get the bus with my football kit um, to Bromley, have about a 20, 25-minute walk to my cousin's house. His dad was, my uncle was, would take us to, to training or someone else would take us to training. Um, we'd have like, um, because one of the coaches told us, toast with honey on because that gives you energy. So we'd always have this toast with honey before training on a Thursday. We'd do the training. And from then on, the youth team coach liked what he saw. But I also, again, and I said this in this documentary that we did with the boys that we met up last week for the first time for some of them in 31 years. It was amazing. And there was this guy who was, a, who was he played left midfield, Steve Thurlow. Really, really funny guy. And some of the things we used to do as an apprentice were just brilliant. And he was definitely a part of them, him and Nathan Amato. Uh, but he, I remember turning up one of my very first training sessions on a Thursday night and he was seen as one of the big boys. He was seen as, you know, he's going to get an apprenticeship and he was a year above me and he had these legs like tree trunks. He had hair on his chest. It's like, oh my goodness, he's got hair on his chest and he's 15, I'm 40, I've got, and he's the left back. I've got no chance. But you just carry on doing what you're doing, you do your thing. And the, uh, the youth team coach, as I say, liked what he saw. I enjoyed it. I never really thought that I'd become a professional footballer, but he got me into the youth team. Then he got me into the, the team of the Youth Cup, which is the ultimate team at that age. And then it just went from there. And as I say, he said to me, within 18 months, you'll be in the first team. I thought, nah, crazy. But there was something about going to then... I didn't really see it. And I remember playing for Kent under-19s as well when I was 15. And again, that's an even bigger age gap. But the, the, the manager saying to me after, he said, you, you, you're going to be a professional football player. And I still didn't really register it and, and think that I'm going to make it. But going back to actually what we're saying about, about the, the, the guys nowadays and why the apprenticeship is so important. So if I could change one thing in football, it would be the amount of money youngsters get. And I'm not talking about stopping them getting money. You know, their contract has to be instead of 20 grand a week, it has to be 200 pound a week. But at least 50% of their money should be put into a pot where mm-hmm. they can get when they're 25, yeah. 30, 35, whatever. So they don't have this money that does. I, I didn't become a footballer for the money. It was for the love of football. But if you're given that amount of money and you're that young and you haven't even got a sniff of the first team. Mm. It dulls what? Your competitive edge? It dulls. It, it's exactly what it does. Mm. And where the cleaning of the boots and the go and make me a tea and spit it out, that's not good enough, go and make me another one, it toughens you. Yeah. It toughens you yeah. because what I do think is that nowadays, and I think in modern society as well as in football, there's a balance to be had. There has to be this kind of, I'm going to test you here. Yeah. And I'm going to see how you respond. But we've definitely gone so far the other way now where those cleaning the boots where you knew mm. there was a speck of mud on there you were doing it again and again. You were doing it again. Now, you know, Reedy wouldn't have turned around and threw the boots back at me, but there were people who threw the boots back at the AP and say, go and do them again. But 
you did it with pride. There was a sense of, I want my pro's boots yeah. to be clean, to be looking good, yeah. to have a shine if possible. Your competitive edge comes out in, in every in, in minute everything. of every day. And, and again, what I say to the kids, and they're still only young, so I just try to narrow it down to three things, is try your very best, mm. never give up, and it's okay to make mistakes. You know, I see my kids afraid to... Or, Sometimes yeah. afraid to make mistakes. Well, actually, if you're afraid to make mistakes, you'll never push through that barrier. You don't learn. But, but also just everything you do. And I say to people, you know, runners at Sky or whatever, mm-hmm. if you make a cup of tea, make that the best cup of tea you mm. can make it. Because if you can set standards for making a cup of tea, you'll, make, you'll set standards for everything else. And that will come across eventually. You may feel like you're making another cup of tea and it doesn't really matter, but it does. Presumably what you're saying is some of this toughening up helped you when you made your full debut, which I wasn't even going to speak about, but you mentioned it, um, at the Den mm. against Terry Herlock, mm. um, Terry Sheringham. I, I don't know what the atmosphere was like that day. They probably treated it as a, a proper derby. Yeah, yeah. Um, proper London derby at the old Den. Bumpy times or intimidating or easy Very. I, I, I remember as um, uh, before then, actually, we played them. I don't know if it was a, a cup game or... I remember being a sub and just getting absolute dogs abuse from the Millwall fans as I was warming up. I mean, some real, can't believe you're saying that. I wasn't actually told that I was going to be starting this game, my my full league debut, until about two hours before. And I think it was a sort of like an afternoon game. It was Monday the 2nd of January. And it's that where everybody's right, right so, bevy. Right, so straight after Christmas. That's why it was an afternoon one. Yeah. So, so I'm told a couple of hours before the game, fine. I'm going to be playing left midfield, fine. So two minutes in, the young skinny lad who's now turned 17 but still is worried about going into a pub because he might be told that you, you don't look 18, you, you ain't going in, goes in on Terry Herlock late <laughs> after two minutes. Terry Herlock. <laughs> I don't know your mates around you. Yeah, so John Humphrey around you. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, oh, <laughs> okay. But he, to be fair to him, he, you know, he took it. Yeah. Absolutely no problem at all. Probably nowadays it would have been a yellow card, but it wasn't even given as a yellow card. But 20 minutes in, Keith Stevens would come in at me, hip high, stud showing. Oh, la, la. And he got booked for it. Nowadays it wouldn't just be a sending off, it would be a three-match ban. And I had three stud marks for 18 months later from oh, that la. challenge. And I was so proud of it. Yeah. I'd be showing everyone, you know, my mates, uh, but being proud that this is, you know, that happened at the Den, that happened against Millwall. Keith Stevens did that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you know what? It was just, um, again, you know, he's 17, not really appreciating what you're doing, just feeling natural. You're feeling actually subconsciously that something special you're doing, mm. but not thinking you're special. From then on, it was, I think it was the following season, almost about halfway through. I was 18 and got regularly into the side and was playing left midfield and actually really played like a left midfielder. And I did so well that I won the young player of the year and also I came runner-up in the, the main player of the year, the senior player of the year, and I'd only played half the season. So, you know, that was really nice to be able to do that. And I, I think I was the, the last player until very recently to have won the young player of the year twice, uh, to, uh, back-to-back. It certainly says something about how you were playing, what they thought of you. So does the, so does the Chelsea bid and, and the move to Chelsea. And well, Arsenal came in for me. Oh, and yeah. I, and I thought that I was going to sign for Arsenal. So I was coming to the end of my uh, contract at Charlton. And now I don't know if you remember back in 93, 94, 
obviously Man U were the, were, were, were the team yeah. and we were second in the table and we went to Old Trafford in the quarter-final of the, of the FA Cup and we got to nil-nil at half-time and I think it was Michael who got sent off. So they were down to 10 men hmm. and we were told afterwards that Fergie had said to United, just get them back to the valley, just don't lose this game, get them back to the yeah. valley. Sparky Marcuse, who I led to play with at Chelsea, mm. scored after 45 seconds at the start of the second half, and they won 3-1 with 10 men. Mm. Now, that was a fantastic experience. But following that game, I think we won two of the following 11 games. Mm. So we went from being top two to four, not even getting into the playoffs come the end of the season. And we, we came to the... My, my contract ran out, and Curbs and Gritty were the, the, the duo at the time, and mm. they'd, they'd said, what about if we offered you this, would you sign? And I was like, Definitely. They ended up offering me just 50 quid a week more. And I just thought, you know what? It's not about the money, but if I'm going to be a Premier League player, it's just not going to happen with Charlton. This is our best bet. Mm. We were second in March mm. and we didn't even get into the playoffs. And you can't see that anything's different is going to happen. So I, I'd had the sniff that Arsenal were going to come in for me. Theo Foley, who was um, very close to George Graham, he'd spoken to me uh, and said, look, don't sign anything, but he's going to come in for you at the end of the season. The last two games of the season, I didn't play for Charlton because they were worried about, they knew the deal was going to be done and they were worried about um, me getting injured. Because this is just before Bosman's existed. So you actually, if you come to the end of your contract, you're not walking out unless there's a deal made. Yeah, well, and I was under 24, so, you know, there was a compensation thing there. I don't know kind of exactly how it worked out. It was obviously less than it kind of, Perhaps would have been because you're out of contract, but there had to be a, a fee agreed. Yeah. So I met up with George Graham and I didn't have an agent. Very charming guy. He's, he's suave, well-dressed, persuasive, very special guy. Yeah, he said to me, um, we've watched you, we like you, we're going to offer you a three or four year contract. He said, it's up to you. He said, but we're going to offer you this money. And I thought, hmm, OK, that's not a great deal. I said, well, does it go up at all? He said, No. So what about with inflation? He said, no. I thought, even at 22, and, you know, I thought, well, OK, well, it, it, I'm able to work out year on year. I'm actually then earning less. And he said, uh, look, we, you know, if you have a bad season, we don't take money off you. So if, if you have a good season, we're, we're not going to give you more money. So I was like, OK, well, it's not about the money anyway. This is Arsenal. Yeah. I said, what about first team? Because I'd seen Colin Pates, who had been at Chelsea, mm-hmm. and then our captain at Charlton, and then went to Arsenal. And then almost was never seen again in, in the reserves. And in those days, the reserves, I felt it was almost like it didn't matter what club you were at, the reserves are the reserves. If you've got no one near the first team, yeah. it's all the same. You're playing in front of one man and his dog. I'd been the reserve team player since I was 16, a first team player since I was 17, 18. I needed first team football. And he said to me, look, Nigel had to wait, Nigel Winterburn had to wait 18 months for Kenny, to, for him to take over. He said, you might have to do the same. And I just thought, 18 months, that's too long. Mm. I can't do that. So I, I, I thought, what do I do? So I thought... Okay, George, look, I haven't got an agent. You can see I haven't got an agent. So my dad's away on business, and he wasn't, for a week. Are you okay if I wait until he comes back? I talk to him and then basically do the deal. He said, fine. So I'd spoken to Keith Peacock before. He said that Chelsea were interested. Back at Charlton. Back at Charlton. So Keith, his son Gavin was at Chelsea, but Keith was our reserve team manager. And one of the People, I, I, certainly then, and I don't speak to him much now, but I feel really close to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, But he said to me about interest. Now, interest is interest. So, But I, I said to him, Keith, I rang him up as soon as I got out, out of the, um, the meeting with George, and I said, look, I've given myself a week. If Chelsea are interested, they've got a week. Otherwise, I'm signing for Arsenal. Mm. 
he rang me back within the hour. He said, Colin Hutchinson, the MD, wants to meet you tonight. <laughs> so we met up my that night. Yeah. I said, I haven't uh, got an agent. I said, would you do the deal for me? He said, well, I have to speak to Charlton. So Keith did. They said yes. Uh, we met up in a hotel that night and we signed the contract that night. God. So I, I, the next day, even at 22, I, I, I like the fact that I tried. The next day I thought, because it, it was in the sun and the star and a few others, but the star said, oh, 2.3 million me going to Arsenal. Now, no one's going to pay 2.3 million for me, especially back in those days. It, it was 775,000, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. But that was what the, the star had said. So it was on the pages. So I thought, you know what? I want George to hear it from me that I've Good signed for, for Chelsea. Yeah. It's a call I don't want to make. You ain't going to take it well, but... But I feel I have to. So I, I rang up the, the, the number I had and I said, look, can I speak to George, please? Why? I said, well, I want him to know and hear it from me that I've signed. He won't want to know that. Yeah. He won't want to know it from you. OK, well, can you at least pass on the message, please? You know, and it was just a basically a... Da, 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 phone down. I thought, well, at least I've tried anyway. But I ended up signing for, for Chelsea. So you, you and George never, ever thrashed that out? No, I, I, I have never spoken to him since. <laughs> I've been in the, the same room as him once. I'm not going to go up to him and say, you know, and he's not going to say, oh, I can't believe I missed on, messed out on it's signing. typical yet. of you that you wanted to do it right, though. I like that, I have to say. It's funny, so George didn't ever, like, see if you could raise your hand and... You didn't talk offside trap with you or anything like that. No, no, no. That, that's, you know, that's no. what you... No, but I think that... I think certainly a better player than Nigel Winterburn. No, no, no. no. Listen, Nigel, I, I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made because Nigel went on to play, and I played with him at West Ham, and, and, and he took my place at West Ham as well, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I felt I should have been playing, but yeah. I com- got complete respect for Nigel, mm. for what he did, how he was as a player. Um so, and so I, the fact that he went on much longer than perhaps even George thought he might, mm-hmm. you know, with hindsight, people say, do you regret not signing for Arsenal then hearing that? Because I haven't told, I don't go out and tell people, lots of people, but not at all, not at all. For me, it was about, I don't know what could have happened. I could have been a Colin Pace, who, don't get me wrong, was a, was a really good player and had a great career. You, you have to have a roadmap in your head because football will lead you down a blind alley very, very quickly yeah. and then nobody will want to know anymore. Yeah. Hopefully you enjoyed that big interview which was first released as an exclusive to our socios 12 months ago. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day that they're available, it's time for you to join us to become a socio and for only £2.99 a month, you will get an exclusive big interview plus regular mini documentaries, not only all ad-free but all featuring me and bringing you interesting, funny and sometimes scandalous things from Spanish football. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. That means that once you join, you will have a treasure trove of interviews with funny, elite, interesting, revelatory top class footballers. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast. You will help to keep us on the road interviewing people and sending that content for your delectation. If you go to the gym, you'll be slimmer. If you've got a dog, he or she will thank you. If you've got a TV, you can turn it off and listen to this instead.